Hello, and welcome to My Dog Will Eat My Face, Season 2, Episode 10. In this podcast, I want to address a few things that I think may have caused some listeners to not fully understand some of the things that I've been saying with respect to having a full life, at least from my perspective, when I say I have lived a full life already. I think a lot of people might imagine that that means Ah, he's talking about foreign travel all the time, eating out at good restaurants, uh, living largely, <laughs> more or less, and, and nothing more, as though that was the only sort of component that I used to qualify a full life. Now, I think it's important since I use that term so much throughout many podcasts that I should finally turn around and define what exactly I mean. And I think that would help everybody. And from there... I wish to share the things I've learned about fully understanding my life and where I came to consider it full based on the definition which I will define here today. And hopefully this will clear things up quite a bit with some of my listeners. I don't want any of them to think that when I say, oh, I can't travel, woe is me, or I can't eat in fine restaurants with friends anymore, woe is me, that my quote-unquote full life was nothing more than vanity and a veneer of success and, as I said, living large or something silly like that, (laughs) but I'll try the best I can to truly define that term here today, and explain to my listeners that a full life, a quote-unquote, a full life, can vary dramatically from person to person. And my definition for myself is my own. And it is something that is obviously very important to me. So, that will be the definition of, excuse me, the topic 
of this week's podcast, and I'll try my best to explain what I mean by a full life. And some listeners may be surprised, some may just think, well, duh. Well, the well, duh folks can just listen in for, um, uh, opinion reinforcement or something like that, just con- confirming their own understanding of the narrative while the rest of the team learns more clearly what I mean by these terms that I use. So, that all said, without further ado, let me get into the definition, which is something I regret I didn't really get into at a very early stage. It's hard to understand any of these things without uh, defining them. You have to define terms. You have to define subjects for people to understand what it is precisely that you yourself are saying. And it'll be my sincere intent to do that today. define the term and I know that's for some people their most favorite topic (laughs) bringing them somehow straight back to college or high school but it's important if we're going to talk about these things we need to make sure that we define the terminology that that is being used and it was a mistake of mine to not do this much, much sooner when I first used these terms, or at least the term a full life. And I may have paid for it a little bit, but I hope to remedy that today. Anyway, that all being said, A full life, to me, uh, can have a lot of different meanings, but for myself, in the context of saying, I personally have lived a full life, what... I mean by that is not just positive interaction. 
And that's that's got to be really underscored. When I say I've lived a full life, it in no way whatsoever is isolated to merely positive experiences or good experiences, however you wish to say it. To me, a full life, yes, does have good things in it. It, of course, has things that are exciting, are fun, are whatever your personality craves and are good things, simply good things that happened to you during your life on Earth. Now, some credit to me here, before I define this further, is from the very beginning of when I talked about having a full life, this might be going back a year now. I, I think that's when I first used the term. It, it's been a long time. But some credit to me was I never said I lived a good life. I lived, instead, I said I lived a full life. <laughs> so, that clues you in into the definition of the term that I'm using. To me, a full life consists of both positive, or what are perceived as positive experiences, as well as negative experiences. Including calamities, including sometimes terrible events. Just as it is, the good events can may sometimes include extraordinary, wonderful events. But in no way does it mean only the good. There, there is an old Arabian proverb that says, all sun makes a desert. <laughs> and that could not be even more true when considering the history of one's experience in life. All sun makes a desert. So, when I say a full life, I absolutely also include the negative events, the, the shenanigans, the mishaps, and even the calamities that occur in life. 
I absolutely include those in my definition of a full life. Because to me, when I say full, it's just that. It's full of positive experiences, of course, but it's also full of negative experiences. <laughs> it's full of many different components that occur in life. And most people don't even want to talk about the negative experiences or the calamities that occurred or perhaps the misfortune that they encountered. Most people don't wish to talk about those things. They only want to post happy pictures of themselves on Instagram, painting a wonderful life, a wonderful existence of just all smiles with friends and trips and all that. That's all what Instagram is. And that's kind of what a lot of people do. It's, it's narcissism. It's trying to show, hey, look how wonderful, how wonderfully good my life is. I bet it's better than yours. That's how I interpret it. And it, it kind of sickens me. So I chose my words carefully when I said a full life. It does not mean merely the good things like you might find on Instagram. <laughs> it means the negative, the sad, the horrible events that might have shaken you in your life. But what's key to me, and why I think it's so important, and why I specifically address a full life and not a happy life, it's because I firmly believe those ne negative experiences that contribute to a full life are things that define you. There are things that mold you, sometimes forcefully. That test your character and make life difficult, certainly, at times. But I'll try my best to explain why I think those poor experiences those crummy experiences that I think contribute to a full life, i.e. my life, I wish to explain why those negative events 
are so dearly important. Maybe, maybe even more important than the good fortune and the joy and the easy and the good news and the fun and happy events that certainly do occur in a full life as well. Well, frankly, I often think the negative, certainly, molds us, molds our bodies and our soul much more than what we currently measure. So, golly, to name those things that were negative, so to speak, that I feel gave me a truly full life, are going to be very difficult to list in one podcast. <laughs> if I were to do full gambit, my index might take a good 48 hours of recording. Anyway, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to choose the large and uh, most potent examples of negative experiences which helped to mold a full life for me. So let me start by sharing those bad events, perhaps calamities. I've obviously been to the hospital numerous times throughout my whole life. It is not recent, it is not new. It's been a frequent event my entire life. Now, that's not through really any fault of my own, though. But I can certainly name things that are a fault of my own to some to some point. I am divorced. I did create a very toxic home environment where I lived. I lost my home that I had. I lost my garden that I hand planted and loved and don't have anymore. I lost who I love. I lost 
that time, pretty much everything. For a little while, I was just living in, in hotels as we went through divorce. Because I could not be home with the same person that served me divorce papers and with stickers all over by the real estate agent trying to sell the house. To me, it was just unbearable. So I left. And that was an absolutely devastating experience. It was not, it was not a <laughs> clean divorce. It was very ugly. It got very ugly at times. But that experience gave me a full life because I had that negative experience. Undoubtedly, it was a profound event. There's many other less profound events of mistakes I've made and stupid things I've done. <laughs> I honestly used to drink very heavily. I don't anymore. But for a long time I, I, I did. And I regret that because I don't know what damage that caused, and I don't know what would be different today if I hadn't been such a lush when I was working. <laughs> it was a high-stress job in a law department, and I was under a lot of stress, so I was either stone-cold sober and working really hard, or at home getting toasted <laughs> with the little time I have and sobering up before cleaning up and going back to a stressful job. <laughs> I would I would say though that yeah absolutely that drinking is a that that was a negative choice I made and I I truly regret making that choice. And most of all, speaking of regret, I regret mostly the things I didn't do. Now, I'm not going to get into that, but by far it's the things that I did not do that bothers me. And it really bothers me because I can't do it now. And I honestly at the time thought I had more time to do it. Maybe 10 years? I hoped I populated. But that's just not how it, how it shakes, you know? That's just not going to happen. I got thrown into hospice care when. 
my doctor told me there's nothing more he can do for me. In fact, what happened was I was lying in bed by myself, just watching TV. The nurse was in there writing crap on a whiteboard. My cardiologist steps in. He asks the nurse to leave so they could have privacy or so we could have privacy. Now I knew when that happened, this can't be a good conversation coming with my cardiologist. Anyways, at that point when he said, this, is, this was about three, four years ago, he said, there's nothing more we can do for you. We recommend hospice. I think at most you're going to have three to four years to live. And that's where I'm hovering out about right now. And I said, oh, so I should start making final preparations. He nodded and said yes. Then, he left the room. After some other conversation, I don't remember. And then I was all by myself in a hospital room. With that information just dumped on me. And I was all alone. So that was terrible. Then in hospice, my mother, who I'm very close to, her and I had a very close bond. I love her very much. Suddenly passed away. Then a few months later, my best friend, of life. My dog, who I've had for the majority of my adult life, a big portion of my life, very suddenly also died. Now, sorry about that. There was a quick cutoff because uh, <laughs> my phone rang <laughs> in the distance and made a horrible din. So I had to pause my uh, recording here. And, and for that, I'm sorry, my dear listeners. I apologize. Anyway, so... What I was saying was really essentially that I am no stranger to loss and to problems and even calamities. But it is Precisely those things that 
think teach a person their muster. It, it teaches oneself their spirit, what they care about, and how strong they really are. It's truly amazing. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know if I would have my life and the issues that were within it, minus a few, granted. <laughs> uh, I don't think I would have those issues reversed. Again, maybe minus a few. Like, I would love to have my mom back. I mean, that's just... Sorry. I would love to have my mother. But... For... The other... 19 million <laughs> problems... I've had in my life. I think they've helped to create a full life. And that to me is what is key. I think a person needs a challenge, a problem, a setback to learn their own general character. To learn what makes their strength in life. And if not to learn it, to develop it. And frankly, I wouldn't have those bad things for the most part any other way because they made me who I am and how on earth would I object to who I am because that's not something that is open for debate. We all are who we are, period. If you wish you were someone else, either become them or get over it. <laughs> we are who we are. And it's those issues, those problems, I think really teach us who we are and teach us our general character. And so that's why I think those problems, sometimes severe, like a divorce, in the long run at least, they teach us our muster and our character.
So all that being said, I wouldn't have it any other way. I said, maybe less a few things. Like my mom dying someday. I'd love to have my mother back. But for the most part, <laughs> the other nine trillion things that I've done wrong, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have them any other way. Because they made me who I am. And I am not alone in thinking that when being pushed into a corner, when being challenged with these hard issues in life, we learn our muster. I believe it was Christopher Hitchens who said, and I'm paraphrasing, that it is great despair that precedes great courage. I think you said it better than me in one line. <laughs> so, there's my definition of a full life and why I think that's so important and why I'm okay. More than okay. In some sense, I'm thankful for those things that have been difficult or where I've made mistakes in my life. One of my most favorite quotes in the world, I would say this to myself all, uh, very frequently in life, ever since I was, uh, I don't know how old, maybe a, uh, in high school or something. I would recite this one passage from the Aeneid. I don't know if you know what that is. The Aeneid is the story of Aeneas, a Trojan who escapes the fall of Troy, lands in Carthage, leaves to go help to found the city of Rome. He's a mythical creature. Not a creature. He's a mythical person. <laughs> It's very, very, very doubtful that Aeneas ever existed. But Virgil wrote of him in the Aeneid to create a Roman, um, what do you call it, foundation hero. And then it was Aeneas that had children 
I think. No, it wasn't a genius. He, he though somehow brought forth the children Romulus and Ramus into the world, but they were actually the sons of Mars. Is how it's written. So it's not Aeneas. I don't. I, I don't know how he got involved off the top of my head. <laughs> and the two brothers were suckled by a she wolf, and became sort of the first rulers of the teeny little hut village called Rome, and. The brothers got in a dispute over the perimeter of the city. And so Romulus murdered his brother, Remus, because of the squabble over the city. <laughs> oh, it's just so brutal. And that's why Romulus then is the city after himself, Rome. That's sort of the origin story of Rome. There's sort of two, the, the, the babies, the sons of Mars, being raised by a she-wolf in the wild and growing up, trying to found a city into a fight over the sacred perimeter. And so Romulus kills his brother and names the city after himself Rome. And also there's the story of the Aeneid by Virgil, the Roman author, who wrote this in the first century. And it's a story of Aeneas, who was, in fact, a Trojan that escaped Troy before it fell, landed in North Africa before then going to Italy for his sacred duty to help with the founding of Rome. <laughs> there you go. There's, there's sort of the Roman origin myth in a nutshell. <laughs> anyway, the quote I often tell myself is from the Aeneid, and it, it's something that Aeneas says. And I'd often say to myself this quote when I was having difficult times. Up to today, And that quote is, again, being spoken by Aeneas to his, his entourage and his troops now beaten and battered by a storm and crashed onto North Africa with their boats in pieces and men dead, men injured. Just a terrible event where they landed in North Africa by accident and all of them were just in terrible despair. So Aeneas says to his followers, comrades, you and I have had a long acquaintance with sorrow. Evils still worse we have known. 
Call back courage. Send away gloomy fear. Perhaps one day to remember these troubles too will bring you pleasure. And that sort of reflects what I'm saying with a good or a full life. Perhaps troubles will one day bring you pleasure. Because that is the makings of a full life. And even terrible calamities are never as bad as they seem. They help to make you who you are. And hopefully, a better person for it. Take a look at your life and the negative impacts that might be embedded within it. And at any point you find yourself unable to forgive yourself for whatever you did. And for a lot of people, that's a place where they get stuck. They cannot simply forgive themselves for whatever failure, calamity, mistake, whatever it might be that they feel they brought on to themselves or others. In short, there's no forgiving of oneself in most people. Sociopaths don't have that problem, so maybe that's the answer. <laughs> no, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not. We should probably avoid becoming sociopaths. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it would be a very good world to live in. 
I think we have uh, more than more than we need right now. So uh, I don't think we need to create more Sophia Pass. But in all seriousness, if it, if you're facing something negative and you're listening to this podcast and you're shouting inside your head, maybe coming out of your lips, yeah, but I can't forgive myself for what I did to blah, 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 whatever it is. Now, you know me, I often like to give really complex solutions to problems, (laughs) but my solution to this issue is both simple and it's completely accurate. What one has to do, above all else, is to forgive oneself for whatever they feel like they did. They absolutely have to forgive themselves. It's not an option. They have to, to move on with their lives. They have to forgive themselves. They don't have a choice. That's just it. Yes, you can wallow in pain and misery forever. If that's your prerogative. But the best course of action, I would say, is to literally forgive yourself for whatever you did and move on. The thing of it is, from my perspective, with forgiving yourself, you frankly don't have a choice. This is your but one and only life. Don't squander it in self-pity. Don't waste it away in guilt. No one in their deathbed ever lie back and said to themselves, Golly! I wish I was more rampaged by a sense of guilt during my life. No one's ever said that. (laughs) I promise you, no one has ever said that. You will literally have to forgive yourself. And that is the first and foremost tenant of being able 
to see those difficulties and problems in life as a positive force that have an opportunity for you to learn from that's the best thing to come of a mistake is learning from it if you're not learning from your mistakes then god help you you're you're going to have a very boorish and and hobbesian life <laughs> but otherwise you can find a way to cope and move on and live your life to the best that you can and that is something you will never regret i promise you now while we're on that topic i think i've made it clear what i think what needs to happen for people to be able to really include those negative events as components that make you a whole life i really think that it's a rather simple but absolutely necessary solution. So yeah, so I was going to say speaking of this topic. One of the things I had to do while I was in Orlando prison And for those of you that are newcomers to the podcast, uh, just uh, winky wink, Orlando prison is a reference to the rehab facility that I went to for almost three months, about six years ago. At the time, I did it to try to save my marriage. Well, that didn't work, but I did get some other interesting things out of it, and I'm going to share some of that now because they required all of us to write a letter of forgiveness to ourselves for the problems and the issues we have caused well under the influence of our drug of choice alcohol 
cocaine, heroin, whatever it might be. Yeah, it, it was a glamorous place to be locked into to try to save my marriage. That was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> anyway, I made the best of it. So when they said you had to write a letter of forgiveness to yourself, I really thought that that made sense in a lot of ways. Not just as it relates to rehab. I think living it to that is, is a terrible idea. I believe it is a good exercise for any of us to take when faced with a mistake or or self-inflicted calamity of some sort. I don't know. Perhaps only merely perceived as such. But that doesn't matter. Something like that in your past can put a hiccup on the whole idea of allowing the negative events to be part of a quote-unquote life. So if you don't mind, I'm going to share my letter of forgiveness to myself. Now keep in mind, again, this was during a visit to a drug rehabilitation place. And the focus mainly was booze. And this is at the time when I was drinking real heavily. Um, uh, well, frankly, especially because of the di- 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 divorce, golly. Maybe I'm drunk now, I couldn't say divorce. <laughs> but uh, even though it's it's largely focused on that. I think it could be applicable to a lot of things in our lives. And I've taken it away from Orlando prison as some wisdom that I have from doing this project, teeny project, to forgive myself for those things that may have nothing to do with alcohol, for example. But as you hear, you will hear an emphasis on that. Just bear with it. Um, Don't let that isolated focus ruin it for you. (laughs) Because I think the principles here can apply to any sort of mistake one one has made. With all that being said, Let me share with you the letter. Now, before I begin sharing my letter of forgiveness to myself, I have to put in a couple uh, um, listener guidelines in here, I guess. Uh, There are common moments where I 
may name individuals, in particular my ex in this case. When I do so in the letter, uh, here just to protect his identity and other people's identities, I'm just going to do a beep noise <laughs> uh, over people's names and any other identifying information that might crop up. So please bear with that. Uh, you're also going to hear some reference to uh, discovery and depositions. Uh, just so you know, uh, I used to work in the law department in the company where I worked, and um, among my duties there were being deposed and going through discovery and certain lawsuits, so fun stuff like that. Uh, so there's some mention of that. If you don't know what discovery is or depositions are, don't worry about it. Just keep in mind it's part of a legal process. It's very common, but it can be stressful depending on the case. And in this particular situation, it was a very, uh, it was a very rough case. <laughs> All right, so with those caveats laid out, I will now share with you my letter of forgiveness from myself to myself, which again, I think could be applied to almost anything, and not just as it is in this case, to uh, drinking and being destructive to my marriage. So, let us begin. My dear self, I won't insult your senses by stating that I hope this letter finds you well. We are both acutely aware of your predicament so I promise to not fabricate any pretenses. Regardless, I can say I hope this letter at least finds you better. Better than how you were than when you left home. Perhaps now, with a cool and clear head, I can express to you my thoughts regarding those dreadful events in December, those events that brought you to where you are today. <clears throat> Do you think that on the 9th of December, you and were enjoying a delightful meal in downtown, consuming live sea scallops, no less? I applaud your decadence. I confess that I'm still shocked that in less than a month beep, would serve you divorce papers. The descent from that lovely evening was certainly expedient when it happened so quickly, in fact, that it's difficult to visualize or recall the proper sequence that transpired. 
bear with me. I'm turning the page. <laughs> Don't worry, my dear self. I'm not writing to salt your wounds and relive all those terrible memories, but I do wish to address them. I recall vividly how in a subsequent evening after that dinner, on your way home from work, you impulsively decided to purchase some vodka at the store. I believe this is right when the second phase of discovery was in full swing and the possibility of being forced into another deposition was quite stressful. I'd hazard to guess that it was precisely this stress that triggered your ill-fated binge. And few can blame you entirely. But my God, man, why did you let it get to you and command your vices so well? Did you forget your own capabilities and past? Did you forget yourself? And what if beep? If you went to beep, excuse me, and not a bottle, I'd be surprised if any of the subsequent events would have happened. Alas, so they did. Again, I'm not writing to wallow on the past, but rather to discuss the present. I know how despondent you were when your senses told you what you had done, especially to beep, inadvertent as it may have been. I ask you, though, to consider this. That despondent feeling and inability to forgive your own actions are precisely why I must forgive you. It's clear that these foolish decisions that you made were not only myopic, but done contrary to the principles and virtues that define you. Among these are rationality, loyalty, compassion, and reliability. By virtue of you still holding to these principles today, as your sober self, it illustrates that these essential components of your being are intact. More so, your unwillingness to forgive your own actions that violated your core ethos underscores, my dear self, that you were and remain a good man. Embrace this observation, for your life may depend upon it. Your virtuous core survives and because of this 
I forgive you for all those events that transpired in December. Even though fallout from those events and well-placed angst may continue, I implore you to make use of your reborn mental clarity and stay true to your virtues, no matter how difficult, difficult, excuse me, or painful. Only when you become a man different from yourself do you truly face potential failure. Stress, hardship, privation, and even despair will come and go. The virtues and morals that form your character are the currency that will see you through all the hard times. If you yield to these values, to embrace cowardice or self-destruction, then, and only then, are you betraying yourself, those who love you, and your own good nature. Be strong, my good dear self. You deserve to enjoy those virtues and the benefits that accommodate them. One more thing. Not only must I forgive you, and so too must you, for your aforementioned reason, there is only one other paramount reality you must consider. Unlike anyone else in this vast world who can elect to forgive or not forgive you, your choices are self-evidently important and narrowed. A friend can seek a new friend, a lover a new lover, an employer, a new employee. You, however, cannot seek, in the material sense, a new self. You must forgive yourself because your being is the only one you have or shall ever have. Any alternative is unspeakable. When faced with a choice of self-destruction or forgiveness, only your courage to choose the latter becomes tenable. To quote Martin Luther, Here I stand. I can do no other. Stand tall my dear self. Your virtues remain intact. Celebrate this and scorn those actions that you, which you violated your ethos. Forgive yourself, as have I. 
you can do no other. Truly yours, Joseph. So, thanks for bearing with that long letter <laughs> of self-forgiveness. But I've taken it with me, obviously, and I've applied the logic that I composed within that letter throughout my life since that moment when I wrote it. I absolutely must forgive myself for the mistakes I've made. Big mistakes, mind you, leading to the divorce. I mean, we're talking life-altering, heavily destructive mistakes. Ones in which I lost just about everything. And dumb mistakes, too. But I am very much appalled with those mistakes. I'm embarrassed by those mistakes that I've made. I scorn them. And that means that my morality, as I've said, is fully intact. If I didn't care about those mistakes and just shunned them, then that meant that I had completely destroyed my ethical ethos. That means that I would no longer be a good man. I would no longer care. The ultimate example of something like that might be a sociopath. But by virtue of the fact of me being bothered by the mistakes I've made and regretting them means that I still have my morality and my, and my qualities of my, of my personality that I cherish inside me. And that's why I had to forgive myself. And if you're a listener who has mistakes in the past, I hope you come to the same conclusion. If your mistakes are bothering you, it's actually a good thing. It means that you do care. It means that your ethics are still with you. And that's exactly why we have to forgive ourselves for what we've done. It shows and demonstrates that we are still who we were before those mistakes. And from that, hopefully, we can learn from it and become better individuals. And suddenly, those mistakes become a form of reinforcement they almost become a source of pride <laughs> to where you can demonstrate how strong you truly are and how your 
morals and your personality were not destroyed by those mistakes. You still cherish the right thing. That's why you regret them. That's exactly why I regret my mistakes. So, for that one reason, I have to forgive myself because I've shown that I've come through the other side, seen what I've done as terrible, and my ethics remain the same. And the other key fact is, this is my only life. This is my only body. That's what I say when I'm, I am granted only one material self. One body. One life. If I don't forgive myself, I'm going to destroy the one thing I have. And that is not tenable. That is, that leads to nothing. That leads to absolutely nothing. But the worst case of life, a life lost when it shouldn't have been. And that's why I feel in my case, and I hope you, my listener, feels in your case, it's another reason why you must forgive yourself for any mistakes you've made. And that's when I say I've lived a full life, and people listening say, great, lucky you, but I screwed this up, blah, blah, blah. No. By the very virtue of the fact that you know you screwed up and you care, it shows you are still the ethical person you are. It shows you don't have to keep screwing th that thing up, and you can learn from it. And in a way, you should wear those mistakes as a badge of honor and move on. Because they've taught you how strong you are. They've taught you that you still care. And that is a tremendous strength that you need to cherish and celebrate and move on with stronger than you were before. That's how I literally see it. And I hope anyone who says, I've made mistakes, I can't do anything right, blah, 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 realizes that that type of self-destruction is useless. To say, I've made those mistakes, and thank God I recognize that I made those mistakes. because they've made me a better person. Just by virtue of fact of caring about those mistakes, show that you care. And that shows you are a good person.
So, that's how I see it. And, uh, I hope at least some of my listeners now see it in a similar way. Since you've made it this far in the podcast, I have to sincerely doff my hat to you. (laughs) Thanks for tolerating my babbling, and thanks for tolerating my reading. But I do hope you found some meaning in what I was saying. I think self-forgiveness is the ultimate facet to being able to include those negative experiences and mistakes in your life for they create you and who you are as a person and are thus very important if you don't learn from your mistakes at all and I'm sure that's very unlikely that Well, I would have no solution for someone like that. So I'm sure all of you do learn from the mistakes you make as best as you can. And that's why those are part of living a full life. So when I say I have total peace with my own death, I can totally accept my own mortality. I am okay with it. It does not bother me. I'm not afraid of it. And that's it. So, I think these are the keys. to being able to achieve happiness and even peace. So, again, thank you for listening in, especially if you made it this far. I'm sure my reading was very difficult to listen to. So, just for that, 
I forgive myself. <laughs> it sounded like a good idea at the time. And by the time I was almost through it all, like, oh God, I'm almost done. I'm not going to delete it. Forget it. I'll just leave it in. <laughs> oh, so hey, I forgive myself. Hopefully you can forgive me. You can't. I really don't care. But be it as it may, <laughs> I can just laugh at it. And see, that's having a full life. <laughs> Being able to screw up. <laughs> and I do wish for all of you a full life. I really do. because I think that precedes happiness and peace. I think there's happiness that comes and goes without that, but it's always fleeting. I think true happiness in this, in, in, inside of you that's unbreakable needs to come from things such as forgiveness. So, all that being said, again, thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. Be sure to click on follow and the notifications bell to be notified of future podcasts. If you really wish to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash my dog will eat my face. And again, sincerely, you've already done more than I could ever ask for, which is to take a listen to my podcast. I do deeply appreciate you allowing me to have a voice through the world. So with that, I hope to be in touch with all of you again soon. But for now, off to the descent.